I've had some bad experiences with buying Chinese furniture, anything large from China, because they scale the photos so weirdly on like AliExpress and all this stuff. They'll have like a picture of a woman sat like completely enveloped by this cushion, and then it arrives and it's like this big. Always catches me out. Welcome to the Propane Business Podcast. I'm Johnny. And I'm Yusuf. We set up and built propanefitness.com into the profitable semi-automated system that it is today, which allowed us to quit our corporate jobs and coach online full-time. More importantly, we were able to do this without a huge online audience or being glued to social media every day. We're now ready to share everything from the failures we've made to the systems that now consistently generate hundreds of thousands in revenue. We help personal trainers, coaches, and gym owners do the same by avoiding the mistakes we've made and the best practices going forward. Subscribe to this podcast to learn what we're doing and what we've done to build and scale propanefitness.com. We'll be teaching you how to generate a steady flow of online clients, win at Facebook ads, automate your coaching systems, and to achieve financial independence. Good afternoon. You are listening to us talking to Colin Campbell from Cambro Conversations. Colin has spoken to Johnny and myself on his podcast and we were like, you know what, this is a man that we're going to need to speak further with. <laughs> um, we just resonated so much and I think there's a lot of value for you guys as well. What he does with his podcast is he helps people to achieve peak performance in their career and fitness. And actually it really stood out to me just the level of drive, intensity, and how much of a great interviewer he is. We've seen Colin build a personal brand and really add a lot of value and master his craft over the last few months. And it's great to have him on. So Colin, thank you for coming through. Thanks for having me. And yeah, love the conversations that we had on my podcast so much so that the audience were demanding rounds two and rounds three potentially so i'm sure they'll be pleased to to hear my dulcet tones on yours as well oh always the dulcetist so can you tell us a bit about your story and what's what's brought you up to this point and led you to to decide to build camera conversations of course so i think there's lots of different angles we could come at this from but as somebody that probably is living a bit of a dual or a triple life if you were to call it that i think the headlines for the listeners would be that i work as a business development professional in the design-led furniture industry alongside camera conversations the podcast and the instagram and the email list and all that nonsense that i got up to but of course one of the big things that unites us three in conversation is my massive interest in my own fitness and well-being and each of those three link into each other more than a lot of people would think. And what probably took me to this point was graduating from university um, with a degree in politics, starting in a business development um, management role, finding that I needed to pursue my own methods of self-development because the coaching and the support that I was getting within my role were all well and good but I needed to go looking for sources to improve my ability to speak to people, to present, to prospect, to make cold calls, to research. And while university, in particular a politics degree at a, a decent university, it does teach you to take vast amounts of information and distill it down. It doesn't teach you the practical skills that are needed to do well in the, in, in the world of business. And interestingly, my interest in fitness and my kind of passion to understand how that worked and dive into YouTube and podcasting on that, I use the same approach to improve my self-development and my ability to sell things in the insurance industry initially, and then now the the furniture space. So I am somebody that's always had a quest for improving my own knowledge 
And I've used online sources primarily to do that. And at some point in that journey, probably early 2017, I decided to start creating as well rather than just consuming. And that started with an Instagram alongside my brother. Um, and we were initially called Campbell Brothers or Cambros as the podcast um, or as the Instagram page is now called, it was called. And as that developed and that grew, it went over 10,000 followers, 14,000 followers. And I started to appear on podcasts as a guest in early 2019. I did six appearances in the first six months. And after every single one, my audience were saying, you should do more podcasts. Why don't you do your own podcast? And I was enjoying them so much because much of the skills that I had in work, I developed through speaking to people in prospect meetings and presenting proposals and trying to close deals. It's very similar where you try and be articulate with points. You try and be short, sharp, give high quality information and then move forward. That's what podcasting is, whereas Instagram was very much the glitz and the glamour of like a short caption with a, a glitzy photo, which I could do well to an extent, but I was just one of thousands. Whereas I think in the podcasting world, less people are capable of doing well in that space. So I felt I could add more value. So I guess that's a bit of a summary as to, to, to where things went. And it probably took me until April, 2020, when we got locked inside for several weeks for me to actually start the podcast. Cause I dragged my, I dragged my feet a little bit, but now we're here, we're over 90 episodes in and it's, it's been transformative for me from uh, a personal brand perspective because although the Instagram was sizable, people connect with me on a much deeper level now because of the long-form conversations. So a lot of people listening to this are probably, well, some may have their own podcast, obviously everyone's listening to a podcast, but they might be considering a podcast to bolt on to usually an existing business a lot of the time or an existing coaching service. And a lot of people don't think I'm going to build a podcast for I guess this, the sake of it or like building a personal brand. So what, when you thought I'm obviously people are asking you for it, when you thought I'm going to build this podcast and that's what I'm going to work on. What do you see as a, like what is success with the podcast for, you, for your journey and how you develop? I find sometimes out-based questions and goals quite difficult to answer, Johnny. So I'm incredibly process driven. I love ticking boxes and knowing that by doing the things that I should be doing weekly, those will compound and get me to where I want to go. And albeit sometimes it's less clear where I want to go is. So I knew I was spending time posting every single day on the feed on Instagram. I'd managed to get sponsorship deals with my protein and muscle food, and that was all well and good. But the enjoyment that I got from having longer form conversations was greater than what I got from turning up every day on Instagram. So I scaled that back and instead invested some of that time that I would take preparing content to podcast instead. Yes, it's great now. There's some sponsors for the podcast. There's some paid adverts on it. I get to have conversations with brilliant guests um, and, and that's extremely fulfilling from that perspective. But it also you do get some attachment to the numbers and you have some aims for how many lessons you'd like to get per episode based on the time that you're putting in, but also on the value that you hope that you're trying to generate. But I'd be lying if I said that there was like a an overarching, well, I'd love to get X number of subscribers or I want to have X number of lessons or I want to get paid X, X number of pounds per episode that I release because that isn't really driving this. I actually really enjoy creating and because I am well remunerated in my career, I can afford for this side project to not actually be fiscally driven at the start. Equally, the Instagram when I started it in 2017 was not fiscally driven at all, but it's pretty cool that I get paid by my protein and given stuff by muscle food each month to, to fund my own fitness. And that when I go to a city and I want to access a gym, 
I can quite often blag my way in because I've spoken to them over DM on Instagram. There's some pe- there's some perks to turning up and giving value. It's that's definitely given me a lot of insight into what what has driven you to this point and seeing that you've almost used creating content as a vessel for personal growth and as a way to kind of win-win in that even if it doesn't go anywhere it's a way to build some skills and tools that will have some carryover and yeah i can definitely see how relentlessly kind of process driven that you are there's a lot that i want to dig into that because i think what you've said about not being naturally an instagram person um i'd love to ask you about that but first what's what is it that drives you every day what where does this level of consistency and intensity come from because you clearly are someone that really shows up in the domains of your life that you've chosen to do that in you know in your your day job in your training in the podcast and content creation and that's not something that comes easily especially if you're having to you know wear multiple hats throughout the day i don't think it does come easily to everyone and i don't think it always came easily to me but I feel a greater sense of purpose now in what I'm doing and what I've been doing for the last few years by embracing a small number of things but doing them to as good a level as I can than when I was maybe traditionally conforming to like what you would be expected of somebody in their early 20s. So when I was at university, yeah, I went out twice a week and I played rugby and I lifted weights and I didn't really apply myself particularly within my degree until my later years because that was the done thing but when i started to train five six days a week when i started to manage my nutrition when i started to see results from a physical transformation that pushed me forward in such a way that it made me a much happier person because i felt that when i apply myself i actually do quite well and it's got its own positive feedback loop rather than like my idea of a nightmare is like somebody been like oh let's go for five or six pints after work at the pub i'm like all right okay well i'll come but I'm not really that up for it. I'd much rather go and train with you or I'd much rather go and have some nice food with you or do, or do something that has a little bit more to it rather than driving state change through substance. And I guess it is a difficult question to answer, like what drives you? I've definitely improved my self-awareness in the last few years through, well, the last, last 18 months probably through journaling quite a lot by writing down some of what's going on inside my head because I do appreciate there are times when I am doing these things relentlessly that it seems a little bit unusual to some people why I would enjoy that, especially the stuff that doesn't necessarily pay. And I know Johnny, one, one of his first questions was, well, what, why, why the podcast? What, what, what's driving it? I guess I just feel fulfillment and, and I feel a purpose in what I'm doing. So I find it easier because the feedback loop from that is inherently positive. I think without having to be constrained as well, you're totally right that there is a kind of artistic license that you lose as soon as your paycheck depends on it. As soon as you're like, oh, now I have to create to feed the algorithm or I have to do this certain type of content. And, you know, it's, I guess it's the epitome of selling out, but we all have to, because if that's what your income hinges on, whereas in your case, it's coming from a position of strength and actually most things that do really well into like organically had a long period of not making any money and just doing it for the pure art of it. I think Chris was your first episode, uh, Chris Williamson from Modern Wisdom. And, you know, we've seen him grow that podcast with really no particular goal. And it kind of dumbfounded us for for, for the first hundred episodes. Cause we were like, Chris, why are you doing this? Like, you're not, you're not, you haven't got a product to sell. You're not, you're just doing it as a podcast. And then 
now we have to eat three big slices of humble pie because <laughs> he's got hundreds of thousands of, of followers and massive deals and everything because he kind of stayed the course. Yeah, that definitely resonates. And I think when you have positive people to look up to in that space like Chris, then it's much easier to maybe frame it because maybe he's a, he's a, he's a good role model. I think there's there's a lot of flaws when people pick role models and stuff like that, but I think he is a he's a good role model in that space. Equally, I actually spoke to my email list this week about a lesson that I learned in work in 2016, and I applied it to the podcasting world because I was a guest about three months ago on a podcast, and they asked me who was your role model for the podcast. I said, well, somebody I look up to who podcasts is Chris. He's grown a fantastic brand, but importantly, I cannot be. Chris Williamson, I'm Colin Campbell. And talking about yourself in the third person is a bit strange, but bear with me. I learned in work in 2016 that you have to ultimately be the best version of yourself because we started doing um, new business sales for insurance contracts for student accommodation um, for the first time previously. It was all just account management. And the first year that we did it, my Welsh colleague finished top of the leaderboard. He brought in the most new contracts. He brought in the most income from the business. And the next year, he was tasked at the start of the year with coaching the rest of the team as to how he was so good in three particular areas, how he was so good at cold calling, how he was so good at presenting in meetings, and how he was so good at finally kind of getting the deal across the line. And ultimately, he he is so different to me. One, he's Welsh and he's got an accent that's like from the valley. So really, really thick and deep. He's exceptionally funny. And he he just like would open cold calls with jokes and stuff like that. Whereas in contrast, I don't know if anyone's heard yet, but I'm Scottish and I'm, I'm also, I'm also tend to be quite clean cut and direct and professional. And that's how I like behave in the corporate environment. And I couldn't mimic his style because if I tried to cold call like him, the person on the phone would just be like, this guy is just being so false. He doesn't mean that, that joke at the start. And I learned quite quickly that, in order to be my best self, I could take things that he did and maybe some of the things that he said in terms of like what the approach was. So in his emails, he was using calls to action. Yeah, not a problem at all. I'll use my own call to action, but I'm not going to be funny on the phone on my cold call. I'm going to be professional. I'm going to be relentless. Great like he is, but I can't just mimic his style. In the same way, I couldn't just try and create a micro modern wisdom and and, and, and do that because I, I wouldn't it wouldn't sit comfortably with me and I would soon run out of steam to try and chase down that level of goal in the same way that you guys will have to produce a far ra radically different coaching service to maybe some of the other people in the industry make lots of money or do really well and have lots of clients you could be like oh we're going to do our business like that it's not sustainable so do you think that you've produced an overall better product with the podcast because there is no goal like because the goal is just each episode has to be as good as it can be and that it's kind of there for its own existence and it's just how do i create good conversations and a good experience for the listener and how do you enjoy it do you think that's a better result than if you think, were doing it for listens or downloads or yeah something else i absolutely do take some reassurance from the downloads on some episodes particularly where it's a smaller guest with a smaller following and it's word of mouth that's maybe growing that particular episode equally I'm, i am particularly proud of a couple of episodes where i had bigger guests on and i didn't like fanboy and i didn't um kind of lose myself in, the, in in that but i do think there is an element of if you detach yourself from some of the numbers then you just follow the process of one episode every sunday record an interesting guest that week colin listen back to it do your introduction release it rinse and repeat carry on carry on carry on don't get me wrong i actually had a bit of a 
a knock about two or three weeks ago. I invited three different guests who I thought would be excellent. I knew exactly what I wanted to talk about. And they they asked me my download numbers. They, they went and looked at the podcast and they said, well, it's actually not got enough listeners for to make it worthwhile for us to spend an hour with you on Zoom. And that was a bit of a, a hit. So it does show that as it gets towards 100 episodes, I do need to make sure that the metrics are where they are at to get some of the conversations that I want to have in future. Um, but equally, some of my aspirational guests I wanted I've had on quite early and without too much fuss because they've seen that it is credible through my Instagram and through the kind of level of engagement that the episode gets. Yeah, I think it's something that we were talking about really recently and just in business in general that when someone is doing, when you're producing anything, I think purely for profit or income, especially early on, the the end product is always going to be different to if it's like what you truly want to spend your time doing or if you, you know, it's when businesses focus on just the customer initially and solving someone's problem, usually the end outcome is better, but it's very, I think what people, why people struggle with that is you said yourself, like it is a weekly rhythm that repeats every week for hundreds of weeks. You know, like how do you, how do you stay when you get a knockback like that and there's no, oh, well, it's okay because my bank account says this is a result of this. How do you stay motivated when you have something like that? It's like, what do, you, what do you come back to when something bad happens and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm just doing this over and over and over again and bad things happen. And I've got nothing really like financial or, or so, no, no substance to necessarily show for it other than a process. How do you stay motivated with that? Failure for me would have been to stop and to, to, to give up. And equally, I released two really good episodes in the weeks after those kind of knockbacks. And I was still able to turn up on the Sunday with an episode in somebody's podcast player and their subscriptions with the hundreds of people that do like support me at this at this point in time and if that grows to thousands in time that'll be that that that'll be great or tens of thousands as as that goes so i guess i think a lot of it comes back to discipline and that's such a corny phrase you can see it now on the instagram um page somebody being like oh discipline is forever motivation's temporary but there is there is there is often some value to to those quotes if you, if you actually apply them and the discipline to turn up on that on every Sunday and, and and produce a podcast is far more important than maybe getting that spike. One of my most listened to episodes, and I am I am proud of the episode, is about crypto. It's about Bitcoin. And if you looked at who my Instagram audience was, primarily people that are interested in fitness in their career, Bitcoin is not the hottest of topics. It's a hot topic for a lot of people because it's the ability to become financially free potentially, um, depending on what, what what your investment is in that space. But that's one of my most listened to episodes. And I just turned up with no expectations. I didn't think this episode is going to bang or I'm going to reach X number of thousand views on YouTube on this one because it's my highest viewed YouTube video as well. So it's it's really interesting that if I can detach myself from this episode's going to go to the moon. There's a lot of a lot of wisdom in what, you, what you're saying there. I, I guess it's kind of one of the universal laws that with many things, you have to approach the goal kind of obliquely in that if you're after traffic or money or even like i guess if you apply that to your personal life like you someone who's out like looking for for love or approval or whatever those things are outcomes they're almost currencies and so to try and seek them directly like you can't just say oh i'm, I'm going to just do money you have to offer a service that the money is the the result <laughs> and so actually the process becomes completely unrelated to the money it becomes getting very good at the specific skill. And I suppose in your case, it's great that because you're so process driven, 
the even the target of certain metrics is really just so that you can hit the threshold to get better guests on and make the podcast better. So it's kind of like a flywheel in itself. Exactly that. The the, the main driver is to get better guests and continue to deliver value to the audience, particularly those people that listened to the first couple of episodes because there was n- no reason for you to listen to that other than, oh, I quite like his Instagram and um, I, I, th- I think he's nice to listen to or he, I think he'll ask interesting <coughs> questions of that guest. And it's interesting you say like, mastering my craft i actually think it's funny that there's crossovers between what i do in work and what i do in podcasting because before we recorded this i was just on a zoom call to a customer i've been on and off zoom with them three times today and it's it's exactly the same dynamic i'm just speaking to him about particular topics i'm answering questions from him about how my service is going to work and how i'm going to be able to 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 work with him and by being good at that i'm actually reasonably good at, 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 at podcasting and if I wasn't good at my day job, which is one of my pet hates about people who just constantly chase side hustles, if you got actually good at your day job, you might find that you wouldn't want to chase the side hustle. And I, I know you and I and, and, and Johnny as well both spoke about leaving corporate jobs, but I think a lot of people don't actually give themselves the chance to even be good at it, albeit there's a huge challenge with finding purpose and fulfillment in a lot of jobs in that space. Well, that's, so that it's, it's interesting you say that because I, uh, I heard you talk about the difference between doing something like studying or project work or I guess running a side hustle as this long lingering kind of doom type stress compared to doing a day job where it's a sequence of short, sharp, acute stresses. And that's a really interesting one to to deal with because I think a lot of people think that there's this grass that's greener on the other side of if I set up a side hustle, it's all going to be fairies and, and, and rainbows. But all you're doing is stepping from one type of problems into another aren't you so um do you have a because i i guess in one sense you've you've created both of those challenges do you have a personal preference do you tend to lean into one over another i don't think i i don't, I don't think i actually do have a preference i actually like the short-term stress of work so today i was saying to you before we hit record that it's been quite stressful making sure that one of my clients is in a position to um move forward successfully and i've had to be very reactive like pulling people together internally and moving forward but equally, I do enjoy like those longer lead time goals where it's just a case of showing up and ticking, ticking off the box. Um, I think my personality type does lend itself towards the longer ones, though, particularly where you feel that what you're doing is going to compound. Although to caveat that, I would say that when I'm under levels of pressure, I do react quite calmly. Like I don't feel like I panic very often. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes you get an email and you F and you blind and you think, honestly, how am I going to deal with this? and again a bit of an insight into my personality i actually really enjoy doing the hard things that other people won't want to do because it, i feel it, it separates me and it's not a case of like oh i'm better than such and such or i'm better than x y or z it's a case of well i've been tested and i have proven myself to be the value of person that i want to be and yeah i guess we can go into like whether that's healthy to hold yourself up as a valuable person or want to be a valuable person but that is something that i value in, in, in myself so it's like a you've sort of structured a life where you're balancing these two like the short sharp like acute stress of dealing with client calls and having a job where ultimately someone is throwing demands at you without any kind of warning or necessarily a structure and then this this long goal of like how do i keep this process going and how do i grow this brand where there's not the same Apart, apart from when you get the emails that kind of are, are frustrating that someone doesn't want to come on the podcast, but there's not the same dynamic, right? Because you're choosing it. 
So where where do you see like if you were to balance the two things long term, like how do you see them fitting together? Because I think a lot of people when they're they're developing a side hustle, they think, or probably a lot of I imagine if someone didn't know you, they'd look at you and think, oh, he, he's wanting to move into doing the podcasting, or he's looking, he's building this on the side so he can quit his job. It doesn't seem like that's what you want to do. So how do you see the two fitting together long term? That's thankfully that's one of the easier questions you guys have asked me so far that I've probably thought about before. Um, some of these I'm really delving into my into my into my own self awareness answer. At this moment in time, and appreciate things will will always change. I think if anything, the last eighteen months has showed us that things do change quite quickly. And I know friends that would never have dreamed of working for themselves, but redundancies and furlough and all these different things completely changed their mind about what they were going to do. They didn't want to be reliant on the man, so to speak. I at the moment, continue to see myself working in what I'm working in. I, I've got a clear path towards being a director within the business that I'm in just now. And that excites me because I feel like I can contribute really heavily in that space, both in terms of fulfillment and support my colleagues, uh, fulfillment for myself, but support my colleagues around me, but also fiscally, I can radically improve, continue to improve my lifestyle, albeit I am happy where I'm at at the age of 29. I'm pleased with the the financial position I'm in, but I really want to continue to push that. Um, and the fact that there is no pressure on really, really pushing the income from Instagram and the podcast is is a good thing so far. But I do believe that it, at some point it's going to help me to support myself financially. Don't get me wrong, I, I, get, I sometimes get paid for photo shoots or video shoots. I get paid for adverts. That's great. I just see that as like not fun money, but almost like investment money, Bitcoin money, so to speak. <laughs> We have a friend who never does dress rehearsals. Like he learns by doing. So he learns live or what they call it, learning in public or creating in public. And he takes a very similar approach to you, which is he was like, I want to learn to code. So I'm just going to build a project in public. And, you know, it's it's a complete win-win because if it takes off, fantastic. He's just built a platform that's paid him loads. And if not... It doesn't matter because that wasn't really the goal. The goal was to learn PHP and then it was to learn JavaScript and whatever. So it's really it's really cool to see that, that actually by having that focus on process, you can't lose because the thing itself, doing the thing is the success and actually engaging with the hard things and that kind of internal battle that you're, that you're having every day of, I am elevating my own um, state that I'm... I, that sounds that sounds bad. I'm, I'm I'm raising the kind of perception of myself by the fact that I have overcome internal barriers. You you sound very similar to us in to, in the way that you describe doing the PR stuff, Instagram, the kind of flashy things. In that Johnny and I, our temperaments, we're not Instagram people. Like we find it quite a jarring platform, and I think it's taken us a long time to finally accept that we just need to play the game with that. Um, I think maybe our generation, we're just out of the millennial bracket. So we've missed the memo of the fact that we're supposed to somehow curate our lives for an audience and it doesn't, doesn't come naturally to us, but you know, now we've just kind of swallowed the pill and accepted that it's part of the process of, of building a brand. Did you have to go through a similar kind of conversation with yourself? Is it something that you've thought about consciously or is it just kind of come about? Do you know, I actually preferred instagram in my younger days and actually found myself i found it easier to post really regularly show up really regularly be quite 
open about what I'm up to, and I still do. Sh- I do still do show up, but digital minimalism is a big thing, and I, I know I'm preaching to the converted here, but not being on your phone all the time is a massive boost to your productivity but also your well-being and constantly documenting things is a real struggle and my kind of halfway point now that i'm at where i do show up really regularly i'll I'll post 8 to 15 stories a day easily i'm not doing one grid post i'm not doing one grid post every day now but i'm doing several a week still often trying to push people towards the podcast which is a bit sneaky but that's the that's that that's the nature of it and i'd much rather do that than post a, a an advert for for anything else but I, I think my, my kind of halfway point now is that when I'm out in public and I'm actually spending time with people, I'll take photos on my camera roll and I'll post them all at once when I get a chance in my story. So rather than living through my phone and posting at the time and making sure I've got the location right and I'm tagging the right people or, or I'm tagging the right company, trying to be present while I'm in that moment. And whereas before that, I was definitely guilty of trying to post at the time that I'm doing something and making sure that I'm almost live vlogging something which is just such a ludicrous situation it's it's mad that that's become the norm as well i think that's a great way to to, to get the best of both worlds like i've I, I read i can't remember where it was someone was talking about like hey i went on a first date with this girl and she was like basically instagramming the whole thing and like putting putting me on her story like and the food and every and, and he was like should i should i go on a second date and everyone was like well no like that's a red flag that is not even that abnormal nowadays like that's probably quite a, a standard thing to do which is a bit frightening yeah i have to draw was... really hard lines when i've been dating in recent years to like almost like no phones at the table or if you want to get a photo of the meal that's great but then the phone goes away and that sounds like i'm running some sort of dictatorship but you you, you actually will not build connection with somebody if you're both on your screens because you will remember far less it's actually one of the reasons i was such a big advocate of like 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 not just walking dates but walking meetups with your friends like during the during the pandemic because i mean you really if you're walking alongside your friend and you're both on your phones your your friendship's pretty fucked so but it's a great it's a great opportunity for you to actually speak to each other and and gain a greater connection i suppose it communicates like especially a first date it communicates like i'm not really on a date with you i'm on a date with my audience and you're just an instrument you're just an actor in that play which is a bit <laughs> a bit in some well, yeah, it's like living it's like being in the real world but like only through your phone so you people that you know when you see people um or we were at a, a pop concert on uh on friday night we went to see bring me the horizon live and there's loads of people like this and you're like what are you doing like you you're at there. although there was um the rider cup was on yesterday and loads of people are watching roy like standing next to roy McElroy take a shot watching it on their phone you're like I'm I'm in England and I'm watching Rory McIlroy take a shot on a screen. You're standing right next to him. We've got the same experience. Like, what have you gone there for? Just stay at home. It's like it's the extreme, the extreme version of all this stuff of like why Instagram is. Well, I suppose like how that plays out as a problem for someone trying to run an Instagram page or be a content producer is you have to navigate something that is so addictive that is making people, or like a device that is so addictive, and then a platform that is so addictive that is making people behave like that in the real world and you've got to go on there eight times a day or however often you post a story to post something and not get dragged into the the rest of the infrastructure at the same time so do you have like a how do you do that like you so people listening here i imagine most people listening are running some kind of instagram page how do you manage that without spending half your day on instagram 
Yeah, well, the the big one there is definitely what I said previously was take photos and videos and stuff like that when you're offline. So if that is, if you want to take it that's perfect to the story format, turn your data and your Wi-Fi off, go in the app, film it, take the photo of it, save it to your camera roll, post po- post later. And that generally is a really good way to do it because you should, you should in theory, you should be fine going onto Instagram and doing that with the data on. But new stories will pop up of people that you like to look at. New posts will pop up on the feed that you maybe want to engage with or you want to read or you want to double tap. And that will drag you away from where you need to be. I also think specific times for posting are really helpful as well. So a lot of my posts will go up before I start work. So I've been a walk in the morning from my my steps and I've had my movement. I've started my day. I'll come back into the flat and before I log on to my work laptop, I'll, I'll post some stories. Typically, I swipe up to the podcast, maybe what I've been up to in terms of my walk or something that I've thought about um, that might be interesting or I'll ask like a question on a poll and then I'll log off the phone and I'll put my personal phone out of the room until lunchtime and then I can go back on and, and deal with it then. The only other thing I would say when it comes to running an Instagram page is please in the name of God do not answer your DMs on your phone. Use your laptop because it is so much easier because the laptop experience on Instagram is not very enticing. You don't want to like watch stories or look at posts or look at the feed. But if you go onto your DMs, you can type really quickly. Anyone that can type quickly on their laptop will know this. You can clear your DMs really quickly. The only thing that I would say, if you're looking to build a connection with your audience, and I've built a strong connection with mine, I'm, I, I hate the term influencer, but I'm in that kind of micro-influencer bracket where my audience do support the stuff that I do, which is fantastic. You can't voice note on the, on the, on the laptop, and I will voice note quite a lot of my... Uh, people back on on dm but the majority of the time i'll reply via laptop so that's probably two or three that are, are helpful for me johnny you'd have some uh and you wouldn't just be oh well i just try to not get distracted <laughs> so yeah there's some great tips hard and fast rules if 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 i'm on instagram posting at like half 10 11 o'clock in the day i just know i've let myself down because my screen time is going to go up i actually have a I have a one hour, five minute reminder on my phone. And even then, if I hit that, I'm I'm quite disappointed in myself because the main thing that I'm doing on Instagram is I create and then I reply. So all the replies can be done via like Safari on my laptop. And I don't know what my time is for that because I don't want to measure that. But I do, I do, if I measure what I'm on Instagram for in terms of the um, the actual app itself it's always under an hour a day unless i if unless i have a bad day and it hits that the worst day tends to be if i'm on the train commuting to and from like manchester or liverpool or london or something like that because the phone's not out of the room so my chimp brain's just screaming at me to look at it it's a real slap in the face when it tells you like you have spent three hours today and you're like oh god i think particularly for me because i seem to unconsciously compare block of time to the fact that I've not been meditating for that time. So I've got if I've got a goal for a certain number of minutes per day and knowing that you you see like a you know one hour on your phone at the end of the day and you're like that is a, literally an hour that I could have been meditating. I, I know it's not quite the same because it's an hour spread over, you know, lots of fragmented interrupting um blocks and it's not one continuous hour but arguably that's worse because then you're being constantly pulled out of your your deep focus. So yeah, it's a it's a bit of a depressing state, and I think uh, Tristan Harris or Tristan Harris, as he likes to be called, is a fantastic guy to listen to because he's kind of had a one foot in big tech, as well as um, being a very strong proponent of changing the 
the landscape, you know, rather than having the metric of time on screen, if we changed it for number of minutes logged meditating or number of times recording on my fitness pal or steps or whatever it is, he was just like, it doesn't matter because we can change the behavior to incentivize something that's productive rather than destructive, but it's probably never going to happen. Do you two have personal Instagrams? We do, but really? we're not very good at them. I'm forced um, to set one up because apparently it's good for business. Well, well, <laughs> that, that's what it. I was going to ask. So I, I, I've um, seen yours, Johnny. It's like propane, and yours is Yusuf propane. But do you have like a separate one for that? It's like family and friends. Oh no. no. Well, that's what I was going to say. So I've got a, a personal one that I've had since I was at university, like 2014, probably. And my time on that is like less than five minutes a day because if I wasn't creating on the app, I wouldn't be consuming on it very much, and. I'll caveat that with I follow some really interesting accounts on my personal brand one. So I, I I do appreciate I would spend some time on the app. But if I wasn't showing up and posting, I would spend a lot less time on Instagram because I've tried to filter it out of my like routines and my habits. I don't reach for it for when I'm trying to bored. It would be so interesting, you know, because there's we've all got like a couple of mates that just don't do the social media thing at all. Like they don't have a Facebook, that they've maybe got a phone number, they've maybe got WhatsApp and that's it. And I'm always secretly envious of those people because I think their mind must be so much quieter. Like they can just turn up for work, go home, spend time with their friends and family, wonder why everyone around them is so distractible and like... <laughs> if, you, if you dig into those people, so I have a friend who's like that. He doesn't have a Facebook. He doesn't have a, he doesn't have any social media, never has. Um, but he's on his phone a lot. And it's because he's just like checking the news or... Yeah, yeah, literally. I, like Part of the problem is not the platform. It's the, it's the fact that as Colin was saying, like the iOS version or the Android version or a lot of these experiences is very addictive. And it's kind of a device problem. I think if you want to really get a handle on it, you need to get rid of a smartphone, to be honest. Because like you'll just you'll just spend your time playing Mortal Kombat. The guy from uh what's his name? Make time. I forgot his name now. Oh uh, um, yeah, yeah. So two he, of them. Yeah, so so he talks about or they talk about two sources of this, which is infinity pools and constant inboxes and the inboxes are kind of always just slightly filling up and and then the infinity pools are just yeah bbc news is an infinity pool the twitter feed is one like instagram is mm -hmm. one and between the two of them you just never get anything done because there are more than 24 hours worth of stuff to do in it's just check both of those just yeah to make sure <laughs> dear me yeah. i don't know where that was leading yeah we we, we just went know, off on it. pouring their heart out about social yeah. media <laughs> <laughs> we're supposed to be we're supposed to be interviewing Colin and we've just <laughs> gone off on one. Um, Colin, is there anything that you're working on at the moment that you're kind of personally wrestling with um, in your in your life, in your work? Um, so I actually spoke to both of you about this. In terms of like driving the podcast forward, and we're not talking about it from like a monetization perspective, but it was that whole piece of like, how can I get high quality promotional clips for the podcast to use on social media? So what you did with, uh, our reels and stuff like that obviously i cut four or five clips i thought were interesting on particular topics and shared them with you that's the most time consuming part of the podcast now in terms of doing that because i prep for guests as you both know us I, I i do my research and stuff like that i find that really easy and really enjoyable it's almost like it's not work i think there's, there's you could probably find some quotes somewhere about when you apply yourself in areas that don't feel too much like work to you then that's your real competitive advantage mm. but 
listening back to the podcast and trying to find the areas that I want to use for promotion, that feels like work. That feels like admin. I'd much rather research another guest and go and record another podcast. That's probably what I'm wrestling with at the moment. And there are services on Fiverr and stuff like that. But I wonder if there's people that like you can find that actually understand the tone of the podcast and what you're looking to achieve because they might find like a clip where somebody says something and I'm thinking it's not the advert that I want to use for yeah and we, we've looked into this as well actually there are agencies that do it and they're usually quite high retainer like f- between 500 or 1500 a month um, and they you know they do a certain number per week or whatever but you're absolutely right like part of me philosophically objects to it because I think why should I have to like I've recorded a, an hour long episode that's full of great content and why should I have to dilute it down just so that someone with a short attention span can consume it but then at the same time you're like well you've got to play the game because someone else will do that instead and it's it's the way to get it out there so yeah it's a difficult one I, I don't think we've got a solution apart from manually doing it or maybe when you're recording one um unsolicited advice here but what what we do if we have if we're having back and forth me me and johnny um in a podcast one of us will just take a couple of notes of notable parts of the podcast and then we'll go back and just scrub to it take it out as a clip yeah that's that that's brilliant i i have managed to filter it down a little bit and what i do now is when i'm getting the video ready for youtube on imovie i'll go in and i'll listen back and i'll just cut the the video out because previously i was cutting the audio changing it to mp3 and going into a, a thing called wave and i was using photos um with a wave and they're quite engaging but i think it's more engaging to see somebody speaking and in, speaking into a mic because at, at this moment in time i don't know I think I've probably done 10 in-person podcasts out of the 90 that have been released. So the the footage is somebody speaking on Zoom rather than in the studio, which we're just having to make do at this stage and it allows us to have these conversations from afar. Yeah, but you're right. In terms of kind of effort to yield ratio, it's it's pretty poor. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, that. It's the, the worst The worst thing about that sort of thing is, and this is all across business, or as Yusuf says, he compares everything to he could be meditating. <laughs> it's like the time that you spend doing that is time you could have been spent researching the next guest and recording the next episode and so i think like we it's something we coach a lot of people on it's something we also struggle with ourselves is that the often if you can pay whatever your hourly rate is if you can pay someone less than that to do that and they get it like 80 percent right it's probably better than you doing it yourself um or certainly than not doing it but it's such a difficult decision because you, you it's never quite exactly what exactly as you say like you look at it and you think oh it's not really the bit i wouldn't have picked that bit or i think the tone's not quite right or but it, it's just never it's always this trade-off isn't it like how you spend your time versus how you spend your money to, yeah. to grow something and develop something the the other thing that springs to mind in terms of things that i'm, I'm wrestling with and I, I think you two have probably spoken to this before but equally i think our personality types and the kind of people that would click in a podcast like this probably lend themselves to this like almost over self-development or going too far down like chasing optimization in, in every area. And it's funny because we're speaking about our bugbears in terms of like screen time and challenges with that. And we obviously still haven't got that 100% nailed, albeit I've got some systems that I feel make it more effective. But how have you two found like not going too far down the rabbit hole of particular elements of self-development? So you, you spoke to Danny Miranda <clears throat> a few weeks ago. and I know he's big on doing like having something in your day that doesn't scale like writing a letter to a friend or something that's like really manual and actually just keeps you grounded and stops you from like just trying to run faster and faster on this hamster wheel um i know johnny got a dog a couple of years ago and he said that's been a a big source of joy 
for him as well. So I'll let not, him speak to that. But not for like self-development reasons. <laughs> but <Beta> yeah. version. <laughs> yeah. So I can write a book about it and become a best-selling author because of because I got a dog. No, I think I think both of us went down was probably me more than yourself. Like I I was doing like a two-hour morning routine at one point and then basically got rid of all of it. Um apart from like I walk and meditate and I occasionally do yoga or like yourself's got me doing some specific stretches at the moment. But um I think the probably what you're what you're thinking of or kind of what you're maybe about to talk about is like I think you do all this stuff and you you go through this additive phase of reading new things, adding new things, doing all these things, and then you kind of forget somewhere along that way to just like live and enjoy your life. And you're spending so much of your day like preparing for something or like trying to get better for something so that next year you can really have a lovely, lovely life that you just spend lots of time living. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's about kind of getting the, I, I try and focus on like, what are the things that really I, I notice a benefit from that don't, while, while trying to mitigate the downsides of going too far down this world, because you could just spend all day self-developing and then then you die at the end of it. So <laughs> it was all largely pointless. So, but what, what's what's been your experience with it? It sounds like you're kind of thinking about it a lot at the moment. Yeah, I think similar to you, I, I I heard both of you speaking. I think Johnny, you and I spoke about it on, on my podcast about that massive morning routine that if you don't fit in everything, then you're gonna have a shit day. But sometimes you're like, well, there's like an, there's like half an hour in my day where I fuck about on my phone. So <laughs> why don't why don't I just like condense this down and open up more time to the rest of my rest rest of my day? So yeah, my, my morning routine was is 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 fairly simple, but there was in the past where I had this massive stretching routine and a lot of it was very passive and there probably wasn't a lot of like return investment. There was a bit of foam rolling in there, which has got some very, very mixed kind of um, scientific results that could actually really move the dial forward and condensing that down and just making sure that I'm up, I'm hydrated, I've journaled and I'm out for my walk is pretty much the, the that's the low hanging fruit that most people are still not even doing. So you're kind of still creating a competitive advantage for yourself over over those that are not looking after themselves first thing in the morning and i think there's times and i i i kind of that one of my most kind of most negative pieces of self-talk was around like being a bit robotic in terms of we've just spoken about how relentless i can be in terms of ticking boxes and consistency but sometimes you need to embrace the fact that that's how you are while also and i think the most important thing you said yusuf there was around having parts of your day that are not self-development based, not scalable. For me, I'm a massive Rangers fan. It's actually in my, in, in my heritage. My, my grandpa played for the club and football in that perspective is like kind of my outlet away from like the serious stuff. And a lot of people are really surprised when they find out like I'm a, like crazy about like a particular football team because it's such like it tends to not be something that people who are incredibly invested in their self-development and their self-betterment are like massively, their mood's not dictated by their football team, which mine is sometimes. And... <laughs> having that element of things within my day is very important equally having like some friends that i speak to and chat to that are just not remotely interested in like my podcast or my instagram or anything like that in fact they just absolutely hammer me for it it's actually quite it's actually quite valuable to have that because it brings you right back down i like i was quite excited i just collaborated with slater menswear which for me was a big deal they're a glasgow institution a uk-wide brand we spoke about men's mental health on their um youtube channel but some of my friends were just like, oh, just ripping into me for the suit and ripping into me for like what I was saying. And I was like, I actually, like, I'm actually quite 
happy that I've got that to hold me there because on Instagram, it's overwhelmingly positive and that's beneficial too. But sometimes you need to level yourself out and have people that just aren't interested in pursuing peak performance either. So true. Everyone needs a mate who's just like, you wanker, like, what are you doing with that? <laughs> um, and you, you can you can, act, you can tell when somebody's ego starts to get beyond what it should be and they've either shut out anyone who speaks the opposite or or they've you know they've lost touch with with the friends that do that because they start to become kind of delusional caricatures of of themselves and you see it like we've seen it with local people who we've known for years that have like maybe shot to kind of influencer status and they start drinking their own Kool-Aid and you're like mate like only only you and your fans kind of believe what you're what you're saying here um so yeah it's an interesting one i think there's been some really valuable lessons from this one. I mean, you've you talked about embracing who you are and leaning into your own strengths rather than trying to trying to be the emulate someone else's model of success. Um, you know, with your your Welsh colleague that has done done that, and actually other people trying to copy that wouldn't wouldn't work as well. Uh, being process driven and seeking the growth and the result from the process rather than hinging your happiness on the outcome necessarily talked about building your brand uh minimizing screen time anything else that you want to mention to us or uh to the people listening the only thing just off the back of that last conversation we had about over self-development over focus on like who your circle is and stuff like that i think some people sometimes we need to go too far to dial it back it's unfortunate but a lot of people that will ask you about things like self-development on instagram haven't invested enough time in going too far in terms of the really long arduous modern routines and they maybe see that you've dialed yours back to being quite simple and they think that they can go in at that entry level but unfortunately in the same way that people don't achieve what they really should in many other areas they almost don't push themselves hard enough to pull back training's a massive example i know we've not spoken a lot about it's that people but... who think that they're overtraining because they've done five sets rather than three and you're like no no you've you've just not experienced overtraining that's your problem <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, training is the perfect example. I was really glad you gave that because if you go into the gym, most people have no idea what failure looks like a set. They're leaving like five or six reps in the tank. There was a Jeff Nippard video a few years ago that just horrified me when it was like they gave like they put like sixty kilos in a bar on a barbell bench for some people, and they when they actually went to true failure, they got something like seven or eight reps more than they what they assumed would be failure. But people are doing that across every movement, across every gym session. And I think people are doing that in their self-development largely until they go into that red zone, they go too far, and then almost earn the right to scale it back. And that sounds really harsh, but I, I'm a big advocate of like earning the right to scale things back after pushing beyond what you maybe should have done. There's a great video with Mike Isretel, the guy from uh, Renaissance Periodization, doing sets of hack squats. And he demonstrates that exact thing where he's like okay so we have three levels of failure we have the first one which is volitional failure and he does a set of hack squats and he's like this is where you stop when it's just getting a bit hard and he's like then we have kind of uh failure where like i think i can't remember if he calls it mechanical failure where it's like the reps start to slow down and it's you have to kind of dig deep to to get to that point and he does like an extra three or four reps and he goes and then you have the failure where you dig into your childhood trauma and you speak to yourself in russian and he's like shouting at himself and he's like his legs are trembling and he and you're like oh okay so you really can squeeze out a few more reps if, if you if you embrace your inner bodybuilder 
Yeah, exactly that. And I think if people can do that in their self-development journey as well, they'll benefit, albeit do it for a very short period of time, dial it back, and then you can have a much simpler process that you actually know works, but you have committed to. It's a great, I've never really thought about that that side of it, to be honest, because a lot of the stuff that Yusuf and I talk about on podcasts, a lot of the stuff we talk about on Life Hacks with Chris is about this kind of journey of gradually scaling things back. And I was listening to Eric Helms on his podcast talk about how he stopped tracking macros and how it's kind of something that he advocates. And it's something I thought about at the time of like, you, there's very few people you could really tell that as a, as a, as a weight loss strategy, no need to track macro, like no need to track anything, just kind of eat by feel and, and just eat, eat a bit less than, you know, what you think is a slight deficit. The number of people that that would work for is so small, but you're dead right. It's because the people it's working for Eric Helms because he's a pro bodybuilder and he's been tracking everything down at the gram for five, 10 years or whatever. So yeah, you do have to be careful kind of in what areas of your life you accept that it's sort of slowly, slowly simplifying because otherwise, how do you know what, 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 how do you know whether if you had added something else, maybe that was the thing, (laughs) you know, maybe, maybe that was the final piece of self-development that, that unlocked the, unlocked at all it's funny we've ended up back at training and macros um as as the examples because tracking calories is is a huge one johnny like much like training to failure yourself most people track either really inaccurately or really infrequently and just lie to themselves frankly and we're designed to try and make things easier for ourselves it's in our nature it's evolutionary for us to try and make things easier so of course we don't want to reweigh that um that that scoop of protein because of course it's 25 grams that comes out the comes out the bag when regulates it's going to be radically different so to make somebody go to that extreme to understand what's in everything that they eat then of course you kind of earn the right to eat intuitively but that's one of my bugbears when i see like oh more people should be eating intuitively the population's eating intuitively intuitively they think they should have that entire bag of cookies on the couch watching netflix or order that that dominoes every friday and saturday that's their intuitive response to how their yeah. hunger well the, the the people who are advocating eating intuitively on instagram are 90 percent recovered eating disorder um coaches who have decided to take on the role of psychiatrist despite having no medical training and are doing the same thing and it's clear that yes that's worked for them because they've had to have bounced back from this big rubber band but you're absolutely right. For most people, they've not hit that point in the first place. So they would make a mess of intuitive eating. Yeah, exactly. Equally, like, exactly that. Relying on relying on hunger signals in society when a lot of the things that are available are designed to like circumvent those things <laughs> is again challenging. And there's that there's that. You can take that across everything, can't you? Like apps on your phone that are designed to circumvent your sort of base base desires. Um, <laughs> I mean, just for <laughs> um just to shame johnny for anyone who hasn't heard this in previous episodes we we went to we went to watch a film and johnny brought two two liter bottles of volvic touch of fruit and he was we were meant to be doing alternate day fasting at the time and nailed them both thinking this is brilliant like there's no sugar in these and then at the end looked on the packet and realized that it was like 12 grams per 100 per 100 mils of sugar and you're like oh great so i've just had hundreds of grams of sugar for no gain because you really tell you've had. it's circumvented the the process mm. that's one of my one of my diet hacks as well like never eat like during a film or watching a screen or like in the car because 
like I'm on really high calories. You and I were talking about this, Yusuf, when it came to like reverse dieting. Like I'm maintaining like three, five hundred right now. And of course that means I'm gonna smash a sodium low for a big bowl of cereal every now and then. But I can eat like a six hundred calorie banana loaf of sodium. And if I do it while I'm driving, I literally could eat straight afterwards. It won't have, like the hunger signals won't have communicated to my brain. So you're arriving like, like did, did I eat that loaf or not? Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. Like and it's the same like I've got a lot of friends that aren't particularly fitness minded, but they'll talk, they'll be like, oh, Colin, I saw you mention about like digestion of protein bars and stuff like that. And they'll buy protein bars because they think that's like the the healthy thing. And don't get me wrong, like I, I do like them for convenience. But one of the things I'll be like, well, when are you eating it? And a lot of the time they're eating it, like sat in front of their emails, like really stressed. So their gut is just like, I can't handle these fake sugars and I can't handle the stress of this it's like a deadly combination of just like you're going to have a horrible stomach and some potentially unpleasant bowel movements for your afternoon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think everyone's experienced a colleague in that, in that sort of situation mid afternoon. So Colin, how can people find out more about you? Yeah, best place to go would be Instagram initially, which is at call.cambro. And the podcast is available wherever you're listening to this at Cambro conversations. And I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. The, Canberra conversations are fantastic. Colin really gets some fantastic, some great guests on, some a real breadth of insight and walks of life. And you've got a few solo episodes as well, I think, and there's just so much insight into them as well that definitely worth a listen. Thanks, Yusuf. Yeah, the solo episodes are good because it means that you don't feel like as a host you need to talk too much, whereas a, you get your own you get your own time to tell the audience about who you are rather than talking over the guest. Yeah, exactly. Which is what we're pretty bad for. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, Colin, thank you for coming on and we will speak to you soon. Thanks again. Want to learn more about the systems we use to run, build and scale propanefitness.com? Head over to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast and you can get your hands on our free training that covers the seven steps that we take with every client that we help build their own online business and also the seven steps that we use to successfully build Propane Fitness. We walk through the sales systems, the delivery systems, follow-up, remarketing, how to basically build your program so that it delivers coaching to your clients without you being there 24-7. We really do cover the full thing, right? And if you want to continue even further and potentially work with us, there's a chance to book in a call to have an informal chat with Yusuf or I to just basically see if any of our programs would be a fit to help you get from where you are to where you want to get to. So go to propinfitness.com forward slash business podcast today and get access to that. If you'd like to learn just more about Yusuf and I, more about us, what we do, follow us on the various channels, the best place to go is our YouTube channel. We have a load of stuff from fitness content, productivity content, why Yusuf slept on the floor for several months, why he's been having cold showers. There's always stuff on there that's entertaining and hopefully informative. So just go to YouTube, search for Propane Fitness, and you can find out a bit more about us there as well. Speak to you on the next episode.